You're listening to The Dworkin Report. I'm your host, Scott Dworkin. Today we have a great interview done by our producer, Grant Stern. He speaks with Brad Moss, who's a national security lawyer. They have a great conversation about the files that Trump just released. The nonsense, the selective nonsense that he just released. So they have a great conversation about that. And, uh, you know, as of right now, a lot of national security experts are saying that, uh, you know, it's time to sound the alarm when you selectively declassify FISA applications. Especially, think about it like this. Carter Page had run-ins with Russian spies in 2013. During the campaign in 2016, he was approved to travel to Russia to do a speech. At that speech, he met with the Deputy Prime Minister of Russia. Anyways, I could go on all day about that. I could. But it's better to hear the conversation that Brad Moss and Grant Stern had. So take a listen. Brad, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. No, not a problem, Grant. So I want to read the press statement. And then we're going to talk about it. The White House released a statement saying that at the request of a number of committees of Congress and for reasons of transparency, the president has directed the officer uh, office of the director of national intelligence and the Department of Justice, including the FBI, to provide for the immediate declassification of the following materials. uh, Several pages of the FISA court warrant for Carter Page, all FBI reports and interviews with Bruce G. Orr uh, prepared in connection with the Russia investigation and all FBI reports of interviews prepared in connection with all Carter Page visa applications, plus the public release of all text messages related to the Russia investigation without redaction of former FBI Director James Comey, former acting FBI Director and number two man Andrew McCabe, Peter Starzak, who headed the Counterintelligence Bureau, uh, Lisa Page, and Bruce Orr. So where do we begin? Uh, do you think that this is a calculated move for political purposes by the White House? Without question. This is selective and politicized declassification of significant materials from an ongoing probe that is implicating, at least in the you know, abstract context, the president. But at a minimum, it implicates his campaign. The purpose of this probe is regarding potential collusion or criminal coordination between the Trump campaign, which obviously Donald Trump was the candidate of. He was the head of the Russian government and the head of it yeah, and the Russian government. So this is effectively the subject of the probe declassifying portions of the underlying investigative materials of an ongoing investigation in order to push a media narrative. And it's not that hard to kind of surmise what is going to come out of some of this. You know, the president's been laying the groundwork in the media for months on this. He's going to try to play up the dossier and its relevance and importance in the probe. And he's going to try to play up these various different uh, actions by people like Bruce Orr and Peter Strzok that might have not been 100% ethically pure, and he's going to use it as a means to smear and discredit the ongoing Mueller probe. This is all about politics. The president is trying to use his authority, and let's be very clear, he has virtually unquestionable authority to declassify these materials, but he's using it for strictly political gains, not in the interest, as he would claim, of transparency. So, uh, you know, we're speaking with a former federal prosecutor, a CNN legal ana- analyst, Renato Mariotti, the other night, and he said that Trump's tweets can certainly be used against him 
because he's adopted many of these statements and and he's put them out there. But can this press release and if he goes through with it, of course, but can this press release and this action be used as evidence uh, in an obstruction of justice case against the president, both for impeachment and for criminal purposes? What do you think? At a minimum, it would be relevant in the context of impeachment. Don, if you look back on the draft articles of impeachment that were raised for President Nixon back in the day in the 70s, there were articles with respect to abuse of power and misuse of power. And this would fall within that same uh, range of possibilities. It could certainly be a circumstance I can see where one of the articles of impeachment, if it ever gets that far, would be for abusing the declassification authority of the office of the president for non-legitimate purposes, and particularly here for political purposes. And similarly with the tweets in terms of obstruction, it would be part of a large group of circumstantial data and evidence that a potential obstruction case could be based upon. The tweets alone is not something I think could make out obstruction. A lot of it could be construed as just political commentary. But given all the other evidence that appears to be in the record, especially with all these interviews with relevant White House officials and cabinet officials, it would be part of a larger picture, a larger factual picture that would be outlined in impeachment proceeding. Well, as we've been doing often lately, both on this program and I think a lot of people were looking back at the the Nixon era and looking at the Nixon articles of impeachment. And one I wanted to bring up that was particularly interesting in regards to obstruction of justice is that. One of the impeachment articles against Nixon was that all of his staff and the people that worked for him obstructed congressional investigations, and they blamed the president because they were under his direction. Do you think that we may see a repeat of that with Donald Trump, where all of his quote-unquote best people turn into the people that actually sink his presidency? Well, I think we've already seen that to a extent, not necessarily with the White House staff so much as his former business partners and personal attorney and former campaign managers. The people closest to him, the people who helped get him to where he is now, are slowly but surely turning on him. The CFO of the Trump Organization is has been coordinating and cooperating with federal investigators. Michael Cohen, the former personal attorney, has pled guilty and is cooperating. Paul Manafort, Rick Gates, these are all individuals who have priceless, significant inside information, and slowly but surely they've turned on him and are providing information. The only question that remains to be seen is whether there's anyone else from the White House that has relevant information that has yet to disclose it. You know, at this point, it's becoming easier to say who hasn't turned on Donald Trump that he knows than say who who has, because the list of who has has grown so long. Um. <laughs> Correct. And it's, yeah. And it remains to be seen. I mean, with a lot of these former, you know, uh, officials from the White House and from the campaign, it remains to be seen to what extent they truly can, outside of a criminal proceeding, turn on him. A lot of them are subject to these very broad NDAs. He had them signed that not only preclude them from talking, but preclude them from disparaging him. Something that is, I view, is far overly broad, but apparently is legal in some context in a private circumstance. So it'll be interesting to see if any of them ultimately find a a loophole by which they can come out against him. But certainly the number of people who, in the context of these two different criminal probes, both the one being run by Robert Mueller, as well as a separate probe being run out of the Southern District in New York, a lot of different individuals have had to turn on him, cooperate with the federal government, and provide rather damaging and embarrassing information. Well, you know, the the Trump campaign actually lost a major case in, in New York State where a staffer sued 
pro se and won a judgment saying that they could not force her into arbitration because the arbitration clause in their non-disclosure agreements for the campaign was written so narrowly that arbitration only applied to disputes over what's actually in the non-disclosure agreement. So, <laughs> um, but let's talk about in government service. Is it possible for him to really contract away people's rights to talk about what happens when they are in government service, when they're in public service, on behalf of another no, public servant? That, no, that is clear black letter law. When it comes to federal employees, once they have left government service, the courts have been very clear that the only authority the government has to restrict that individual's ability to speak, their First Amendment rights, concerns classified information. Beyond that, there is no authority that the government has to restrict a person's authority uh, – sorry, restrict a person's ability to talk under the First Amendment. And obviously the president's only ability to do so is because he's the president, because he was employing them as federal officials. He can't do so as a private individual, restrict what a former federal employee could say. So it, it has been a tumultuous six weeks, let's say, with trials and convictions and plea deals and flipping. Uh, you know, there's so many shoes that have dropped. It looks like White House is just going to put up a sign that says pay less. But do you think that there's something big at the end of this rainbow, a pot of gold in Mueller's investigation that is going to satisfy at least two thirds of the American people? I have been the constant skeptic here in the sense of I don't think it's going to ever be quite the smoking guns some are expecting. I don't think in the end Mueller's going to come forward with the written document between you know Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin outlining how they're going to criminally coordinate or anything like that. I think a lot of this is going to come down to circumstantial evidence, and a lot of it's going to come down to different people's interpretation of the motivations and the intent of individuals such as Donald Trump and Donald Trump Jr. and Roger Stone, and to an extent that's somewhat similar to what we had with Richard Nixon, where there was always a portion of the population that didn't really think what happened was justified. I certainly thought impeachment was a justifiable action in terms of what he had done back in the 70s. But I think you're going to have that here where there's going to be a portion of the population that will never truly accept the nature of how this is going to be outlined. It depends on how much Robert Mueller has. And no one, not you, not me, not even the president probably, truly knows how much Robert Mueller has. And if he's got the goods, it's going to make for a wild 2019. But at this point, I remain skeptical it's going to be quite what some people are expecting. Well, Bradley Moss, thank you so much for joining us on the program tonight. Absolutely. Anytime. I'd like to thank Brad Moss for coming on the show. You can follow him on Twitter at Brad Moss ESQ. Thanks again to Grant Stern for doing the interview. You can follow him at Grant Stern. You can check out our website at DworkingReport.com. We've got dozens of interviews with fascinating people. I think you'll enjoy. Thanks again for listening. Onward!